0: Thanks for listening to Marketing B2B Tech, the podcast from Napier, where you can find out what really works in B2B marketing today. Welcome to Marketing B2B Technology, the podcast from Napier. Today I'm joined by Ian Ferguson. Ian is the Vice President of Sales and Marketing for Links. Welcome to the podcast, Ian. Hello there. Great to have you on the podcast. So. You've had quite an interesting career in marketing, particularly in in B2B tech. Can you tell us a little bit about that?
1: Sure. I guess I graduated in the 80s with an electronic engineering degree, realised that I was a pretty terrible hardware designer. And in addition to not being very good at it, I felt like I was more passionate about how the technology was being used, as opposed to sitting in front of a workstation and creating it. So um, I, I then started to look around early 90s and you know back in those days there were like two tech companies that were really great proving grounds to sort of like you learn the trade of marketing that was Motorola Semiconductor and TI and I went to Motorola Semiconductor and started to work on the journey there I was always passionate about being the underdog that's part of my UK upbringing so I was always wanting to be even in big companies I always picked the technology that was the 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 underdog and then tried to go off and and beat the big guy. So at Motorola Semiconductor, it was after the, you know, trying to take out uh, Intel. When I was at Arm, it was trying to push Arm technology into the server space. That's always been my passion as the small guy and, you know, building that sort of puffer fish strategy where you make yourself look bigger than you actually are and then try to take on the big guy and, and make a meaningful difference in the industry.
0: Cool. And now you're at Lynx. So tell us a little bit about what Lynx does.
1: So we're a software company. We've been around since 1988. And our main focus is software that keeps humans safe and secure. So in aircrafts, in helicopters, and increasingly autonomous platforms. So this is the software that has to work all the time in a uh, deterministic way. So, you know, you hit a brake in a, in a car, you want that brake to happen pretty quickly, as opposed to Waiting for a an operating system to reboot. Um, if you're flying a plane and you're doing manoeuvres in a, in a military formation, those manoeuvres have got to happen right there, right then. And our software does that. And you know, you then have to prove to the various authorities that your software is certified to do those things, no matter what else is going on in the plane, the drone, the car, the armoured vehicle, or the helicopter.
0: Interesting. So. You know, you've obviously said you've got a technical background. How important do you think it is to be technical to market some of these products? Do you think non-technical people can do it as well?
1: Yeah, I, I think so. I, I think you just got to have that curiosity about what's going on and keep poking with the "why" question. And you know, I think the other piece that's you know be you know certainly very regularly for me um, over the last two and a half years is is sort of like holding up your hand and saying, "Can you help me out and I don't know that so as long as you're uh, willing to sort of like admit to your your end point and are curious to keep probing around with the right sorts of questions I you know I, th- I think the field is open to all.
0: Cool that, that sounds good so we obviously talked a bit about your background obviously being mainly client side what why is it you haven't gone to work in an agency is that personal choice?
1: Yeah, I I guess the first bit is you've never offered me a job, right? You never call, you never write, but I I think more seriously, I'm quite proud of the fact that I'm a jack of all trades, master of none. And I actually like that ability to bounce around different bits of marketing, whether that's going off and engaging with customers, whether that's digital marketing to grow the funnel at the other end, um, whatever it might be across that, that spectrum. So I like dipping into a lot of different things. And with the tech that I've been in, nothing gets deployed quickly. Um, and, and for me, I just like to be there for that full length of the journey, sort of talking to people about why the technology is good for a particular application, seeing it get designed in and seeing it get deployed for X years. I, I just like being there for that long, long journey. And I want to be able to hold up my hand and say if it was wrong, it was my fault. And, and if it was a good idea, it was, it was down to me. So that, that ownership of it from cradle to grave.
0: Yeah, I think I should correct you. I've never been able to afford you. It's not that I haven't been able to offer you a job.
1: <laughs> oh, I'm pretty cheap. I could be had.
0: <laughs> cool. No, that sounds good. I mean, you talked about being a jack of all trades, um, and obviously anyone with a VP of sales and marketing role has got a very broad role. So, I mean, how'd you go about determining priorities in that role?
1: Yeah. So I, I guess a bit of background, we, we were acquired in June of 2022, um, so we were a very small company before that 45 people and i think like any classic small company very focused on the quarter and sometimes on the month to make sure we had cash flow and we had the right sort of deal pipeline coming on so you know there were certain points of you know that life where it was probably 105 percent of my time was sales right particularly towards the end of a a quarter to hit hit meaningful numbers um so you know i i think where we are now it's really we're able to sort of step back and and really look at what are the big things that need to be done. I'm a simple guy, as as you know, from talking to me over the years. So I think of um, rocks, pebbles and sand. And so, you know, if you're going to fill a jar, the first thing you have to do is put in the rocks, then you have to do the pebbles and then you need to do the sand. So I really look at, you know, the move, the dial activities on sales and marketing and try and prioritize those. And they'll inevitably be some days where it's, 90-10 Ninety ten, and some days it is going to be ten ninety, just depending on where we are on a campaign or a, a, a closable customer deal. But I, I rather than it being a, a sales versus marketing, I just try to look at it on that sort of rocks, pebbles, sand kind of um, mentality.
0: And how do you go about like really deciding what's going to move the needle? I mean, because obviously both marketing and sales there's quite a bit of uncertainty as to whether an activity will come off and result in a sale so how do you pick those rocks that's what I'm really interested in
1: yeah so I, I, th- I think uh, you know we're, we're, what we're trying to do is so where do we want to be x years out and and it's not revenue really it's what do we want to be known for what's our brand what are the sorts of use cases of people really excited about our technology so you know, when I'm looking at rocks, pebbles and sand, I'm trying to hold up to that aspiration of where we want to be X years out and saying, does this thing move that needle in a, a really big way? Or does it sort of help nudge us in a little bit of that direction? And, and I think, you know, one of the things that um, I'm still trying to do a better job at is to say no. I think uh, as a small company, Typically, you say yes to a lot of stuff because it's like, oh, because I'm going to do all of these things because it it might end up in a lead and it might end up in a little bit of dollars. And and so that's good. I I, I think, you know, me trying to actually do more on less things. I, I, I think that's also sort of the platform that we're trying to work on. So really trying to be okay with saying no to some of that just activity without really. Um, a good use case behind it. And and I think, you know, the other thing about marketing now is that it, it's, yes, there is still some fluffy stuff and trying to predict where you're going to go is is hard, but there's some great metrics now that you can have, right? And so you you don't have to pick a decision and be solid with it for three years. You can, I'm going to do something with my website, or I'm going to do something with my email campaign. And you can say oh, after two weeks, okay, that was pretty underwhelming. We're going to have to course correct, right? <laughs> so so I think being, being, you know, holding up that mirror to, you know, where do you really want to be X years out? And then secondly, course correcting, not keeping your head in the sand and say, you know what, we tried that thing, didn't work out, we'll do something else.
0: So that seems to be a, a real combination between long-term strategy and then also making fairly quick decisions based upon the feedback you get from some of the metrics
1: absolutely yep
0: yep cool one of the things that really interests me is that um you know recently there's been a lot of studies that show that the pandemic particularly has meant that people are less willing to talk to salespeople and spend more time researching so therefore accessing marketing content i mean is that something you've seen and how's that impacted the way you balance marketing and sales
1: yeah so i think it's, it's absolutely something we see in in the space and, and I, th- I think there's a few aspects. I, Yeah, I'm not sure whether COVID is really a big driver for us on that. I think in our industry, people are having to shorten their cycles because the old way of designing aircraft and plane and helicopters and automotive systems was like, well, we'll take X years over it. Then we'll go into a testing phase and then we're going to go off and you know, do our certification. And, you know, you'd you'd have these things where people were designing for seven years out, right? And, um, you know, the one thing I can guarantee is that if you're trying to predict the future out in seven years, you're going to be wrong. And not only that, you've now got these disruptions going on. If you look at what Tesla did inside vehicles, if you look at now In aircraft, you've got these eVTOR, which is the electric vehicle takeoff and landing. So they can take off vertically. um, And they're brand new companies coming into these spaces. And so your traditional Boeings and Collinses and Lockheeds are are now being challenged, not just in this country and and in the Allies, um, but in China, right? And I think across a number of industries, and this is a a, a little bit more of a controversial topic, people are, are going away from perfection. And I'm wanting to go with good enough and learn and say, OK, well, we're going to put this rocket up and we're going to do this and we'll we'll course correct. And so that overall, I'm, I'm going to not wait for perfect data. I'm going to go off and create specifications and then I'm going to say this is our spec and we're going to bring in a couple of people that we think meet that specification. And we're going to go with those down a path of making a decision on there. So so. Long winded way, to come back to your question. So, you know, what do you have to do as a marketing person? You've you've got to get in earlier into those cycles. It can't be by banging on on the door. And as I say, I think COVID is only a piece of it. In in our segment, people are back in the office because if you're working on de- Department of Defense source code, you probably can't do that from Starbucks or in the house. So so people are back and they're still not having a lot of face to face meetings. So I I think the bigger factor for us is that collapsing of decision cycles, they're doing work themselves and with valuable partners. And for marketing, you have to be getting involved earlier in defining how those specifications are coming out. One of the things that was great about working at Arm, and there was a lot of great things that were great about working at Arm, one of the things that they did was they talked to their customer's customer, and to their customer's customer's customer. So Arm doesn't make chips, so their customers would be chip companies, but they were talking to Microsoft's Azure. They were talking to Volkswagen. They were talking to T-Mobile. And so that understanding of the specifications and actually influencing specifications further down the value chain meant that they were in much better shape to actually go off and address these RFPs and RFQs when they came out from their customer base. And there's a science to it. You've got to be very careful about how you reach down those channels. But that's sort of part of our path on how we address these things is trying to get further down to beyond our customers to try and influence those specifications and get those people really understanding the value of what we do to be part of that small club that gets invited into the party.
0: That's interesting. And it sounds like what you've got to do is generate a lot of content for people to read in that early stage or to interact in. Is it really all about content?
1: It, it's about content. And you've really got to understand in each of those stages down the value chain who you're actually targeting. Right. So we just changed our CEO. Our previous CEO wanted to retire. And the new CEO was talking at a, an all hands a couple of weeks ago and he he said your CEO of Lockheed Martin is probably not lying awake at night worrying about his Artos choice, right? He's probably not worrying about some low-level software. He's worrying about problems like hiring enough people on on into their software teams because Lockheed's competing with Apple, Google, you know, cybersecurity for banks. So how does he how does he go off and hire people? How does he deliver planes that have the right capability for the. US Air Force that allows them to be superior in the air over China he's worrying about those things as opposed to the Artos choice so I think especially one of the things that I think tech has generally been quite poor at when I first joined our website looked like a product selector guide and you really have to get away from that to try and understand truly what those people We'll be worrying about. And and as you go further down that value chain, it varies. So we go after chief architects because their badge is on the line. If that system isn't safe and secure, bad things happen, right? But further down the value chain, those people are much more worried about the economics, risk management of programs, interoperability of that platform with other systems. So it is all about content, but it very much varies and you have to be spot on with who you're targeting. And it might also vary as you go further down the value chain if you describe the sort of way that we're trying to do it.
0: Mm-hmm. So do you have a process for for developing a content strategy or how do you approach that?
1: Yeah, so I think it, this is an area where it's pretty iterative. We'll, we'll listen to what's being talked about in forums We'll talk to a customer and, and, you know, when there's material there that's in the public domain, we'll, we'll look at how we use that. And then we also use the metrics again, right? So, you know, if, if people aren't clicking on blogs or going to a website and they're getting bored after 15 seconds, that says we're either attracting the wrong people or what we're putting there is not right. So, one very specific example, you know, two weeks ago, there was four or five hours of um, the head of the U.S. Air Force, the secretary for the Air Force, you know, the head of the army, you know, talking about their, their challenges in, in our sector, about, um, you know, the pace of China and you know, the U.S. Um, you can argue whether it's right or wrong, but statement of fact is their number one enemy right now is China. And so that level of clarity of thought is driving all of Frank Marshall's activities in there. And then he outlined what his areas of focus were around that, like hypersonics and some of these other unmanned, uh, uncrewed craft. And and so, you know, that's at that top picture. We go off and, okay, so how do we then fit into those areas? We start to test that content with some of the, the people that are in our ecosystem. We start to post it on our website, do A, B types of comparisons on a week by week basis and see see how we're doing. And, and then just do a fast iteration. I'll, I'll tell you the stuff we put in the first week after the thing, not great. The second week was better, right? And, uh, you know, that's why marketing great is so exciting right now. You can, you can really rip and replace and learn. I, I came from the hardware industry where... If you make a chip decision, you you probably find that out in 18 months. You you can find out on marketing where your content is landing and whether you're in the right place within hours or days. And I, and I think don't stick your head in the sand, get your head up and confront reality and then do something about it would be my message.
0: Interesting. And, and a lot of testing on the website, but presumably there's other channels you use that are effective. I mean, what other channels really work for you?
1: Yeah, so... Our industry is qu- still quite conventional. so There's still trade show events. And, and we've tended to find that one of the most overused words at the moment is IoT, right? The Internet of Things. You know, you get these general purpose IoT shows from a connected cooker to underwater basket weaving machine, right? We found that we failed in those areas so we've tended to try and seek out very specific events and that might be events that the army are holding there's an event in poland in october called global defense helicopter there is no mistaking where that (laughs) focus is of that event So we're very excited about that event. The U S army are looking to do some things to proliferate some technology more broadly across the allies. We're part of that activity with the U S army. So we're trying to be smarter about where we pick those more, let's say niche or niche. I'm bilingual now living in the U S. Um, so I, I, uh, trade shows is still probably third on our list. Um, our biggest, our biggest hit for leads is SEO and paid search. And we spend a lot of time focusing on keywords and then prioritizing where we put our AdWords spends. And in our space, there's a lot of our customers that actually block Google at the firewall. So we do work with Google and with Bing just to try and target the audiences. But that's our, that's our number one activity, even in accounts where we already have designs. They're such big organizations, you know, a few hundred thousand people here, a few hundred thousand people there. There's no connection really about the tech inside those companies. We still see, you know, Lockheed Martin and Raytheon leads that come into us. And I'll I'll say one other thing that's really surprised me, because our industry is thought of being quite elderly people that have been a system engineer for 30 years or whatever. We have a chat function on our website. And when I came in two and a half years ago, I was like... Why, why do we do that? I, I get, you know, ask Erica if I'm going to Bank of America. I, I get that. But maybe again, as part of um, what you were saying about less less customer meetings and more of an immediacy of, of data, big companies are asking us questions. You're always going to get stupid people that post stuff on the chat function. Fine. But actually, some people are, are, are wanting to engage that way as their first interaction and rather than going through the whole website it's like hey i've got a question you know i I might i've been pointed to you by a google search query or whatever it might be tell me about blah and so we've actually seen an uptick in the number of people that are using the chat function as opposed to leaving there and it might also be just they then don't have to give feel like they don't have to give out so much personal information we actually don't collect much we just want an email address and a, and a name but you know a lot of other people ask for inside leg measurements and where you go to mm. your tailor and 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 so the chat function might be just partly immediacy and partly not needing to fill in all that data but we've surprisingly found that people want to engage with us more that way
0: that's really interesting actually because i've just been talking to another client about putting chat on their website i mean presumably you're doing chat with a real person rather than trying to get a chatbot working are you
1: we're a small company so the chat function is supported by me so um (laughs) uh, and you know uh, and other people in my team so yeah we haven't bothered with any of the chatbot stuff we aren't bank of america or lloyd's Mm. bank or nationwide building society we're dealing with a, a few people with very specific queries about how do you have you certified this piece of software on an intel platform to fly in an aircraft so we man it with with humans we got no mm. intent to move to ai bots or anything like that but that that's more about where we are in our journey and a 25 ish million revenue company as opposed to a few billion
0: yeah i think it's still hard in in tech though to to get enough data to train an AI or, or even to build a, a set of questions for um, a chatbot because, you know, engineers come on, and they ask such specific things.
1: Yeah, e- exactly. And again, know your audience, right? AI has come on leaps and bounds, but for us, it's all about credibility with those key people. When an engineer comes on, yeah, you, you don't want to just give them some rubbish. You want to give them a, a decent answer. And several times, if it's beyond my depth, which like I talked about earlier, doesn't take too much. You know, it's like, I'll get back to you right and you give me your email address i'll get you an answer by the end of the day i get them in the answer by the end of the day and you start to build trust from there
0: i think that's great advice building trust one thing you know i'm interested in we talked just before the interview about press releases i mean how important is the media still for you and and how do you approach that relationship with journalists
1: The massively important for us you have to think about it as a relationship between you and uh, and that press journalist so not something that something that transcends what's on your business card today i'm i've talked to rich nass for 25 years i've talked to people at vdc for you know 15 20 years mm-hmm. i Talk to Patrick Moorhead at More Insights for, you know, you know 20 years. And, and that's been across different areas of business and tech. And, and I think it's, it's really, you know, getting to that level of a conversation where if if they can, if they have a topic, you know, it's like, okay, something going on with blockchain, I'll, I'll, I'll call Ian, or if there's something going on with, you know, a, a, a challenge with Ukraine, I'll, I'll, I'll call Tim Reed, our CEO, it, it's about really not about, Pushing product there these days. It's about sort of trying to, again, share some of your knowledge and wisdom about what you're getting out of customers, because we're going to be closer to customers than they are. So delivering value there and really thinking it not in terms of press hits and clippings and that, but really as a trusted relationship for decades. And I think if you go in with that approach, that's what's worked for me. It's not about, did they cover a a press release of a a product widget with these speeds and feeds it's more about when they're when they're in a pinch and they want some opinions on things who do they call i view it on that as opposed to column inches on a product release
0: i think that's great advice love that just moving on we talked about like media relations we've talked about some of the other channels you use particularly your, your website I, I mean i'm just interested to know what you think makes a really good campaign and, and perhaps some examples of where you've run campaigns that have been really effective I
1: I think simplicity uh, is one of the elements, you know, one of the, if if I think back, you know, I I moved from the UK to California in 1999. And I always loved the um, a dog is for life, not just for Christmas kind of campaign, right. And um, for those in the US, because it hasn't really run here, the idea is that people get a puppy at Christmas, it's all exciting. And then, you know, all of these kennels and, and rescue places get filled the week after Christmas with you know, these unwanted dogs. The reason why I use it is it's just such a powerful thing. I can then convey things around IOT, right? These platforms that get deployed, it's not just for a, a couple of minutes, it's for 20 years. And so you've got to think about a platform in, in tech for the useful life of a platform. And that means being able to do a software updates and making sure it doesn't get hacked and do bad things. And, and so just that, a dog is for life is ridiculous It's just a very exciting uh, it, it was an easy conveying of the message um and i think the other bit for me is just something that pulls at the emotional strings at arm um, I, I mentioned earlier i was always excited about how technology could get used there was this um there was a guy who was farming nuts in uh, in ghana right and um this guy had farmed nuts and he'd been taught by his dad. He'd been taught by his grandfather. He'd been taught by his great-grandfather a way to farm these groundnuts. And pick that period of time, right? 120 years, whatever. He was d- getting his yields of whatever. And, and there's actually a lot more best practices now known about how to farm these nuts. And and so there was this company in out of Oxford, just close to Oxford University spin out, um, that created the talking book. And And the idea there was that this this technology, which is very, very simple technology, could just actually bring best practices and knowledges to some of the most far-flung, not internet-connected areas of, of the world. And this, this was like maternity advice. It was like just general healthcare advice. And for this farmer in Ghana, it, it created a 25% uplift in yield. And he was, it was a fantastic story. He was a pretty cynical guy. And he, so he did a side by side compare. Right. So he did he won one field he did with the, the, the talking book and, and one field he did with the, the passed down information. And um, the 25 percent uplift was the difference between living his life. Right. A Sustenance just enough to feed the family. Twenty five percent gave him some ability to actually go off and start selling stuff and improving things and starting to give some other information back to the, the community. And it was just such a compelling and exciting story. We started to then go from there. It's like, well, how, what other talking book stories are out there? Right. And we created something with UNICEF that was really technology for good. And just my, I, I believe that the people that are closest to the problems are the best ones to solve those problems, right? So you're a, you're a school child in India and you've got no electricity when you get home. How do you do your homework when you get home? This school child came up with an idea that as she was walking, it was charging a battery that could then actually charge a light. So we we launched this campaign that was really focused on, hey, you don't have to understand the tech. You just have to have an idea for solving a local problem. and we got immunization rates up in certain areas of India because uh, there was an RFID tag woven into a yeah. local bracelet. So it didn't look like just a, a, a ugly old piece of tech. Um, and, and that gave immunization rates so they could see who was, what villages were immunizing at the right levels, where were they behind so they needed more training. Um, so I, you know, that's just one example, but if I come back to the core point, something that actually I think creates emotion Right. And again, we come back to speeds and feeds and I look at my two gigahertz laptop and yeah, you can crank out your work a little bit faster. Yeah. Um, For me, it's 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 much more about um, generating some of those emotive feelings like back to my dog or back to a, you know, a, a lady in India who has used tech so she can actually go off and do homework at home where otherwise she wouldn't have been able to do it. And that makes the difference between her getting to college and just. A rinse and repeat of her mother's role instead so that's my thoughts what do you think
0: I, I love the simplicity idea I think it's um, it's true I, I think the the dog is um, for life not just for Christmas very interesting because everybody in the UK knows that not everybody knows who the organization that actually created it which is one of those interesting things and quite often the organization that created it never gets credit for it but it, it is such a, a powerful I, I mean, it's part of everyday language in, in the UK and, and it, it's nothing complicated or involved or technical. it's just a simple concept.
1: a Good point, because I think you raise a really good point because there's um, a number of um, adverts, we would say in the UK, or commercials, as we'd mm-hmm. say over here, where people remember remember the theme, but they don't actually then associate the brand with the resulting thing. And so, mm-hmm. you know, I think some people and I've made this mistake too over the years, I think we get so excited about that overall message of what we're trying to do, Mm -hmm. we then sometimes forget to actually properly apply and attach our company brand to that. So people remember the dog or they remember, you know, the the kids cycling Mm -hmm. down the steep hill to go get bread, right? And then they've they've forgotten some of the other bits. So I think that is an important add-on that in addition to once you've done all that hard work of getting people to remember that sort of emotive uh, scene, You've then got to make sure you stamp your 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 yeah. tech onto that um, to to be brought along for the ride.
0: Definitely. Now I, I think it's great. I mean, I love this enthusiasm. I just wonder what you'd say to a young person starting out in their career if they're thinking about marketing. What should they do?
1: I think about three things. So, firstly, and this, I don't know whether we could do a web link or uh, just people can look it up. I, I'm a big believer in this. The this is like grandfather ferguson speaking here so i'm a big fan of this japanese concept called ikigai i-k-i-g-a-i and it's basically a the intersection of what are you good at what can you get paid for what are you passionate about and what what does the world need and i think for all of the stuff that goes on in the world and you're gonna get involved as in a job and you all of the nitty-gritty, I found that a very powerful tool to say, you know, where am I on those four things, right? Because if I'm doing stuff and I'm really passionate about it, but I can't get paid, then I'm still going to get some level of angst there. So I think always trying to pull yourself into the middle of, those four circles, um, and and if people are interested, I, I could provide a link. People can contact me, or you can do a link. There's stuff on Medium. There's stuff on Forbes. There's a few places if you go do a search there. So I, I think the big picture of getting out of work, I, I would say go look that up. I, I think the the second one is I jack of all trades is okay. Um, you know I I think some people I've seen go specialize in certain areas and. I think change is happening so quickly at the moment that I'm I'm a fan of jack of all, all, all trades. I'm quite comfortable of not being deep enough technical to talk about um, multi-core certification. I'm quite comfortable about not being able to talk about how an ECU in a car operates, right? And um, but I, I I know enough to be dangerous, and so I'm I want to bring back jack of all trades as opposed to specialization. And I think the third one is I I, I don't believe you can improve anything without measuring it. So the first step is you've got to measure stuff in order to improve. And that might be your running outside work. It might be your it might be your digital campaign. So um, you've got to be very careful about what you decide to measure because then otherwise you can go off down some weird routes. But, you know, go off and embrace data, learn and adapt. That would be my third.
0: Sounds like great advice. I'm sure people would have lots of questions for all of these topics you brought up. If people want more information, how can they get in contact with you?
1: LinkedIn's probably the best way, Mike. Just hunt me down. Okay.
0: So Ian Ferguson at Links is the easy search. <laughs> Thank you so much for, uh, for your time, Ian. I really appreciate it. Thanks very much for being on the podcast.
1: Absolute pleasure. Thanks for inviting me, Mike. It's always a pleasure talking to you.
0: Thanks so much for listening to Marketing B2B Tech. We hope you enjoyed the episode, and if you did, please make sure you subscribe on iTunes or on your favorite podcast application. If you'd like to know more, please visit our website at napierb2b.com or contact me directly on LinkedIn.